0: Back to school tomorrow, which for many of our kids, I think that means just, you know, get up and turn your computer on, right? Um, hope you've enjoyed the, uh, the break. Um, just want to also welcome everyone who is tuning in live with us on our streaming services, whether it be through YouTube or Facebook. So glad uh, for the ability for us to connect together and um, just, uh, just for anyone who's here new in this room or tuning in with us live, special welcome to you. Glad you're with us this morning, and uh, just hope that you feel uh, welcome with us together. So right now, before we open up God's Word together, let's just pray again. Lord, we do ask that you would open up our hearts as we open up your Word. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, show us more of yourself, that we could know you more, uh, Lord, that you could show us those areas of our lives that you want to bring to our attention. And Lord, that you would just do that good work uh, that you intend to do, Lord, of changing us from the inside out so our lives take more of the shape and character and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, well, this morning for the start of the new year, we're, we're starting a new, a new series and, and the name is called Praying for You. So, so I want to just take a minute and explain where we're going and what I'm hoping is going to happen from it. We're, we're going to take four weeks uh, at the start of the new year to, to look through and unpack four of the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed. Uh, for different people and for different churches that he cared for about, that he had a heart for. They're, they're tucked away in, in, in some of the letters that he wrote, in Ephesians and Colossians. Um, and, and it's significant that he took time not only to pray for them, but also to write down for them and tell them in a very personal and particular way, hey, here's what I am asking God for in your life, and I want you to know that. Um, You know, there's something precious, something powerful about sharing with people how and what we're praying for them. There's a ministry that takes place through it, and I think Paul here is There's sort of a model there that we could follow a little bit, Um, and and it's something that I want to follow, and I also want to invite us as a church to follow. So oftentimes, when I hear someone says, hey, would you pray for me about this, this, and this, um, sometimes I'll I'll respond and say, yes, I'll be praying for you, and then I'll pray for them on my own, And, and sometimes that is the appropriate response. Uh, But there's also been other times when instead of responding that way um, and saying, I'll be praying for you, instead I'll say, hey, can we just stop and take a moment and can we pray together right now? And that's a different thing. Something oftentimes significant happens when we're praying together for each other that's different than just praying on our own. And oftentimes it turns into a, a ministry moment. It turns into this opportunity where the Holy Spirit uses that time of prayer together to pour comfort, to pour hope, to pour peace into someone's life who, who really needs it. And, and that's a precious thing, and it's powerful. Um, One other example, another scenario, there have been times uh, when I've walked with people uh, through difficult challenges where they've been going through things, and I wasn't able to be with them in person. I wasn't even able to call them and get through to them on the phone. And so sometimes what I've done is I've written out a prayer, and I've just written my prayer out either in a letter form or in an email, and I've sent that. You know, not just I'm praying for you, but here's my prayer, and, and I want you to know what that is. And um, surprisingly, I've been shocked at the impact that that has sometimes had on people. Uh, to, to have a written prayer that someone else prayed, it went so far beyond what I would have ever expected the impact would be. For some, it became a lifeline. I said, Brian, you know, I cut that prayer out of the, out of the page, and I, I clung to it uh, through every moment of that, challenges that I was going through. It, it's it's a powerful thing. Prayer takes on many shapes and forms. So here's the thing. When, when the Apostle Paul, he couldn't be physically present with all the people that he cared about, and so what he did is he wrote out what it was he was praying for them, and he mailed it. He put it in a letter, and he mailed it to them. And so Here's here's what I want to throw out in this month ahead, in this season of social distancing that we're in the middle of. I want to challenge us to consider following that model. Maybe write out a prayer for someone that you care about in your life and send it to them. That's, that's, That's my challenge. That's my invitation. You might be surprised at how the Holy Spirit uses that, the impact uh, that it makes. And, and so you can do that in an email, you can do that on a piece of paper or a card or any different way, um, and, just, uh, and just send it out. The focus, oftentimes New Year's resolutions, uh, hey, you know, I want to pray more. And, and oftentimes we tend to define prayer by how much we pray, more is a very nebulous term, which means we can oftentimes just in our terms of our prayer life feel like I'm never doing enough. Um, In this case, I would say replace more with meaningful, all right? Um, The prayers that we're going to look through over these next four weeks, they're short. They're a paragraph or two, but they were meaningful because of what was in them and the particular things that were written down. And and this could be a real simple way to... uh, to just have an impact, a significant impact, through this season apart and hopefully uh, connect us together. And so we're going to look through some of Paul's prayers, and I hope as we do that we'll get some some ideas from some of the ways that we can be praying for each other. The first prayer we're going to look at is is at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul tells them not just, hey, I'm praying for you, but he goes into detail about what he's praying and how he's praying for them. Here's here's what he writes. Let's read it together. He says this, "'For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers.'" All right, so, uh, so, so that's, that's a prayer that Paul prayed for the people in his life that he cared about. Uh, I will tell you also, another, another thing that I've done is take these prayers and pray them just as is for myself. You know, insert name here. You can replace that and personalize it with my own, with your name, with someone else's name, and, and pray that. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful prayer. Uh, pray through that regularly and, 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 and let's just kind of unpack the content here. Um, he starts out in this prayer, as he's telling them what he's praying about, he's, he's saying, guys, more than anything else, I want you to first of all know how thankful I am for you, how grateful to God he is for them. Specifically, he says, for the work that he's heard about, that's been going on, that's taken part in their lives already. He says, you guys already have this real deal faith in Jesus Christ, that's awesome. And he says, add to that, you've got a genuine love for, for all of God's people. You know, that's, that's a great combination. Faith in Christ, add to that love for God's family. There's, there's something good there. And Paul says, let's just, let's just stop and celebrate what's going good. You know, now we're gonna see very soon that there are some things that, that Paul has a burden on his heart for, some things he wants to see take shape in their lives, some ways he wants to see them grow, but he doesn't start with that. He starts by just telling them, here's what I'm thanking God for about you. Here's what I'm grateful to God for. Paul, um, this is kind of a pattern for Paul. He's, he's like a hound dog, right? He is always on the hunt, Sniffing out any sense of something good going on in the lives of others. You see it in almost every one of his letters. And the moment he locates something, he fixates on it and he throws a party. He celebrates it. And and there's almost always something to celebrate that's going right in someone else's life. Something that we can thank God for. The challenge is to think about that. The challenge is to not skip ahead to all the things we want to see happen, all the burdens, but to see all the blessings first and and stop. Paul, Paul was relentless about that. And he leads with almost every one of his letters with this just outrageous enthusiasm, encouragement, affirmation about what they're doing right. Can you imagine how it must have been for them to hear that? For them to read this and like, yeah, this guy says we're doing something right. High-five all around. It's a great thing. Take note. The Holy Spirit works that same way in your life. All right? If you're looking around at your own life and all you hear is the voice of condemnation and everything that you're not doing right, it's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's always gonna lead with what's going right. Look at the the, the, the letters to the churches in Revelation. He's, each of these letters that, written to seven different churches, and everyone he starts up, this is what's going good, and there's some things we got to get to, but first, this is what I want to start out with. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and we, can, we can model that. We can pray with that same kind of enthusiasm and gratitude for the particular ways that the people that we love, the people we care for, are already getting it right. Yeah, we, we know, we all understand, there's plenty in each of our lives that's not going right, right? You know, there's no shortage of content in that. That will be the case for a very long time. It, it doesn't take a whole lot of insight or effort to point out those things, but there is something powerful and transformative about pointing out the positive and giving genuine gratitude for what we see. So so Paul goes on in this prayer, and and he reminds them as he's saying, here, I'm praying for you these things. But he also says, do you know who I'm praying to you, to, to, uh, for you? Who am I praying to? He says, the requests that I'm making on your behalf are getting addressed to him, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds to that the title of the Father of Glory. See, he's making a point that we're praying to a big God and and the reason we can pray and ask for big things to take shape in the lives of the people that we care for and love is because we start with the recognition that the one that we're praying to is a big God, a very big God. Paul calls him the father of glory. Uh, Father of glory, that means that basically he is the one who has all, he has it all, the fame, the name and, and, and what that means is that we don 't have to prefix our prayers with with phrases like, "You know God, if you think you might be able to do this, could you consider maybe doing this, or if you have the time, God, maybe would you do this that 's not the God of glory we, we don 't have to try to cut some kind of deal with the Father of glory or try to twist his arm to get what we want like okay, God, here's the deal. If you do this for me, then in return, I'll do that for you. The Father of glory doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't. He doesn't need anything from me. He's already got it all, but he loves to give. Know who you're addressing. Prayer is an encounter with the God that we're praying to, and he's a big God. And as we As we pray to God, he's not just the means of getting what we want. He's also the end. He is ultimately what we want and what we need. He's the source of it all. And for ourselves and for others, it's all all bound up in him. And and that's why in this prayer we see that, that out of all the things Paul could have prayed for for these people he cared for and loved, his simple prayer request is this. God would you reveal more of yourself to your people would you show us more of yourself and and that's that's sort of the primary prayer request that undergirds all of the secondary prayer requests that we pray You know, the prayers for healing, the prayers for provision, the prayers for protection, the prayers for direction, and all those other day-to-day realities that we encounter that we ask God to intervene on, right? Those are critical prayers, and we keep on praying those, but those requests are laid on top of this foundational prayer that's simply saying, Lord, show us more of you, reveal more more of yourself. There's no greater prayer we can pray this year for ourselves and for others than, Holy Spirit, show us more so we can know you more, right? By definition, there is more to an infinite God than you and I will ever fathom, ever, in heaven, we will spend all of eternity and never come close to exhausting the depths of who our God is. That's the father of glory. But that also means that you don't know him fully. I don't know him fully. We don't have God sized up and figured out. But in this year ahead, there's an opportunity for us to know him in a fuller and richer and deeper way than we did in the year that just passed. So let's pray that for each other. Paul puts it this way, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. That's kind of like saying for the Holy Spirit to kind of flip some switches, to turn some lights on in our hearts so those areas about who God is that we're in the dark about that we don't see, that they'd get ignited, that they'd get enlightened. And as God answers that prayer, the outcome is that we know God more. Not not just that we know more about God that we'd be able to answer on some kind of Bible trivia quiz, but revelation leads to deeper relationship. We know him in real time. So so that's who we're talking to in prayer. And at this point, now Paul's going to get into some specifics, into three specifics. He talks about three particular realities. He says, guys, this is what I am asking God to take shape in your lives. The first one is this, that they would come to comprehend the hope that God has called them to. He says this, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you to. What, what he's praying for is that they would come to recognize the call of God on their lives and how much God has done to call them to themselves, that they'd resolve really the identity issues in their lives and embrace who God has made them to be through Christ because that's where that hope is found. So, so just prior to this prayer, I want to just connect the dots between this prayer And and there's a passage right before this that opens up the letter of Ephesians, and Paul just lays out this incredible work that God started in the life of every believer. In your life, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God's work in your life started before the foundation of the world, okay? Light years before you breathe your first breath, God was at work in your life, he chose you, it says, to be holy and blameless in his sight. It says, in eternity past, he determines. The actual word that the New Testament uses, that Paul uses, is predestined. He said, it would be your destiny to be adopted into God's own family, forgiven as one of God's own cherished children. That sounds unbelievable. That's remarkable. How could that possibly be? That's what the rest of the passage goes on and talks about. And the answer is, it's Jesus. It's because of Jesus that he is the one who made that all happen. He did it all. And, and there's this new identity for us that's called in Christ, to be in Christ. And, and, and that happens when we place our faith in Jesus. At that moment, our lives get bound up together with Jesus. The beloved of God. And at that moment and from that point forward, that what what happened to him applies to us. And the way God sees us is the same way he sees his son, Jesus. So that means that when Jesus died on the cross, that there was a part of us, that part that lived in rebellion to God, that wanted to live for our selfish greed, own independent lives, that that died. And when he was raised back to life on Easter morning, That we were raised with him to a new life, a life that's alive to God, a life that wants to live for the things of God. And since that time, since we're bound up with Jesus, um, God looks at us and sees him. Here's the question When I look at me, what do I see? Do I see what God sees? Do I see cherished, loved, accepted, forgiven, child of God? That's Paul's prayer for his people. I want these people I care about to see themselves the way you do. See, if you're in Christ, that's your identity. That is as true as anything else about you. You are a loved, cherished Forgiven and accepted child of God. And Paul's just praying, help these people I love to embrace that identity, to live that out with a with a greater comprehension of who they are in Christ. Let's pray that. Let's pray that for that kind of breakthrough for, for ourselves and for each other in the year ahead that, that we would embrace who we are in Christ, that we would resolve those identity issues that we all have um, and not find our identities in our, in our trophies and our titles, our, our outcomes or our fashion or whatever else it may be. There is no shortage of People and messages that are trying to tell us who we are. And there's the voice of the Holy Spirit telling us this is who you are. You are loved, forgiven, cherished, beloved child of God in Christ. And man, once that sinks in, as that continues to sink in, all those insecurities, all of those doubts, they start to dissolve. And we grow in hope, we grow in confidence. He also prays for something else that they would come to know the, the glory, the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is a separate prayer request. And pra- Paul's praying here that these people he loves, who, who had come to Christ, who had faith in Christ, that, that they would come to cherish what the Lord cherishes, that they would see the people in the family of God the same way God does. It's really that that we would see how precious the saints are to the heart of God. That that means the church. The church is made up of of saints. Um, Saints, by definition, is brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all generations, all around the world. Okay, sometimes we use the word saints and we apply that to people that we say, by human standards, this is some kind of spiritual superhero. You know, they've done something extraordinary for God and now they get the title saint. That's not how the Bible describes saints. Saints is anyone, ordinary people. What makes us a saint is not what we do that's extraordinary. It's what Jesus has done, his extraordinary work on our behalf. And when he does that, he adopts us into our family. And and, and we get to be a part of this big family um, of saints. We're connected together by design. God loves that. And even at the same time, we're still in process. Right? This, this room is filled with saints who are less than perfect. We still fail. We fall short. But God calls the saints his inheritance. That's that's something precious. It's it's who he's coming back for. Later on in Ephesians, he calls the church his bride, the most precious. And even later on in this prayer, he talks about, about the church being the very body of Christ. That's how near and dear it is to the heart of God. And Paul's praying, man, what is near and dear to the heart of God, may that be near and dear to the heart of God's people. Because sometimes we can get this idea that I love Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of his people. Because, well, maybe it's because they're a lot like me. And the more I see how less than perfect they are, the more it reflects on how less than perfect I am, and I don't like that. And so I can despise God's people, set myself apart from them, and it can just be me and Jesus on my own. Paul's praying, don't, don't let that happen. I don't want to see that. You, you're missing out on so much um, that the church, his, his, it's about congregating, not isolating. That's that's, that's part of what faith is about, and, and so much of what God wants to teach us and show us, it's only learned not by just opening books and studying things and listening to sermons, but in the context of, of, of community, of doing life together within the body of Christ. Yeah, it's, it's filled with problems because it's filled with people, but it's, it's a treasure to be cherished. And in this redeemed community of the church, it's this, it's this reflection of God's intentions. It's the place where, where the boundaries that separate in the world around us, um, they fade away. As we, as we take the bread and the cup, that all of those things, what we have in common is so much greater than those things that separate us, you know, whether it be uh, race or class all of those divisions. Church is about what brings us together, and it's precious, and it's beautiful, and it's, it's Jesus. I hope, I hope we're getting just some, some good insights for, hey, how can I be praying for you? How can we be praying for each other? Man, Paul's got some great things that he's praying for. Um, the last thing that Paul prays for, for these people that he loves in this prayer, is that they would perceive the power of God that they'd understand that God has all the strength, all the power, all the authority. And that power, the power of God is manifest in Jesus. God's power is what raised Jesus from the dead. And not only that, it's what raised him to heaven, what seated him in the place of ultimate position of authority at the right hand of the Father. And he points that out and makes a pretty big deal of it. this is where Jesus is. He's he's reigning in heaven. And and this position he holds, he says, it's, it's far above every other ruler and authority and position of power. And just to make sure there's no mistaking, no confusion, he clarifies, not just at this particular moment in time, but now and forever. It's the way it's always been, and it's the way it always will be. All things have been under his foot since he came back to heaven and ascended to that throne. In other words, here's the thing. There's no power grabs going on in heaven, all right? There's only one ultimate authority, and his name is Jesus. And the child of God, for the life of the believer who is bound up together in Christ, that has some pretty profound implications because we already said what what applies to Jesus is also true of us if our lives are bound up together with him. And going back to how Ephesians starts out before this passage, this, this big picture view of what God is doing, it says that through our union with Christ, we too are seated in the heavenly places, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And that means that there is power that is accessible to the Christian life. There is authority to the Christian life. It's not our own authority. It's not something we just use on our own and wield it as we like, but, but it is real. And that means there is hope to not just live in defeat, not to just live in bondage, but to have the power to break out of those things that would hold us back, to become the people of that God calls us to be, that he has formed us to be, that he has redeemed us to become. You know, there's a, there's, there's a line in The Lord of the Rings. In the second book of The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, um, I don't think it showed up in the movie if you watch the movie, but in, in, the, in the book, um, you remember the Ents? Some of you guys have no idea about The Lord of the Rings. Um, but the Ents, it's a fantasy story that has some really cool... I don't know. It's just kind of cool. But the Ents were these tree people. They're huge tree people, and they were just being decimated by the enemy, And, and they refused to take action. They wouldn't do anything, and it was so frustrating because they were so indecisive. They would just sit around with their council of Ents, these tree people, and they'd have these conferences all day And they'd complain about everything that was happening, but they would never do anything about it until they saw that their land and their other fellow people were being ripped apart. The forest was being decimated by the enemy. And Gandalf has this one line where he says, the Ents are about to wake up and find out that they are strong. And they woke up. And they found out that there was this enemy that was decimating them because they were letting themselves be decimated and they were not taking action. But once they chose to take action and live with that decisiveness, they were able to do what had to be done. I think I think that's what Paul was praying for, that that believers the people that we love and care for that, that, and ourselves, that we would wake up and find out that we have all the strength that we have, not in ourselves, but in Jesus. Through our connection with him, we have access to all the power we need. That we're not just limited to doing life in our own strength and our own power and our own abilities. We can, we can live as victors instead of victims. So that's a breakthrough that I think we can pray for, right? You know, for ourselves, uh, for the people that we love to perceive the power, to encounter that power. And, and Paul closes out this prayer by, again, pointing to the church, to, to the gathered community of Christ followers, the body of Christ. And, and he highlights that the church is the one place in the whole world that gets things right when it comes to who's in charge that we are set up to recognize who is the ultimate authority and to live under the lordship of Christ with him as the, as, as the lead. He's the one who's in charge and we surrender, we submit to his will. See, the church, it's, it's not a human institution. It's a spiritual community and our greatest need is always to make sure Christ is at the center. He's in the lead place. And what's true of churches is also true of people who fill those churches and are a part of those churches. The the, the first step to perceiving the power of God is surrendering to it and acknowledging Christ is not just savior of my sins, he's Lord of my life. He is the ultimate authority and I want my life to line up with that and aligned with that. You're, you're in charge of all of me, every part of my life. Have your way. You know, there, there are certain things that I can try my hardest and never come one step closer to convincing someone um, that this is the way it is, right? Um, these realities that we're unpacking here, that we're unfolding, these are things that they need a whole lot more than a sermon to take shape and be fleshed out in people's lives. Um, I wish I could just convince people about some of these things, but I can't. And that's what prayer's all about. Because what we can't do, God can do. And since Jesus does have all the power, all of the authority, and he is still at work transforming lives, we can pray to that end for ourselves, for the people that we care about, because he's going to do it in 2021. He's going to do it in this year ahead. And my prayer for us is that we'd see the power of God at work in many lives in and around this church community. Let's pray to that end right now. Lord, thank you so much for